The South Congress Podcast is a lifestyle show that sometimes crosses over into mature territory. The views expressed are those of the hosts and guests who come from different backgrounds and experiences. Listener discretion is advised. back to the goose down a podcast on the south congress podcast network my name is cameron hawkins the host of the south congress podcast co-host of the pro wrestling torch east coast cast and a regular contributor and content creator for the pro wrestling torch i want to thank you guys for joining me on the first two episodes so far i've gotten some really good feedback some really cool questions and comments um, yeah, and this has been really fun so far. I'm just kind of revisiting these books from childhood. I had a really fun time with uh, this week's book. Um, I read it some, like on lunch breaks. I read it some at the barber shops. I've kind of been all over the place, and I reread some stuff and really took the time to take notes um, as I was reading to kind of give you a full effect of my thought process, you know, as I was reading this. So. The third book in the Goosebumps series is Monster Blood, released July of 1992, 128-page um, book, um, and it's really the first book in the series to have a steady recurring theme or plot device, um, that being the Monster Blood. Now, um, it's, it's one of my favorites that kind of follow this pattern between this one Slappy the Dummy and the Haunted Mask series. Like those are the ones I followed. I've always been a person who likes when, even in an anthology, you keep having like a recurring character or you know some demonic force or just an item that tends to appear a lot of times in a series, whether it's books, movies, TVs, anything like that. So yeah, it was really cool to go back and see kind of how the, all this started and how it relates to these future stories. So. Um, let's kind of get into it um, again for the third time in a row, like real estate <laughs> and moving and buying homes kind of comes into effect as kind of an overall like arcing theme for why the events of the story are happening. So our main character this time um, is Evan Ross, 12 year old kid. Um, so it's automatically a flip of what they did in the first two books where we were kind of following an older sister as she navigates like this world of fantasy or horror or science fiction that happens to kind of befall the family. 
So yeah, Evan, 12-year-old kid, um, and his parents are actually looking for a house in Atlanta because his dad gets a new job. And once again, like it shows you like how even in 1992, the home buying process was ridiculous. Like I remember when we first moved to Wyoming, um, we didn't take all of our old house's furniture with us. And so I go furniture shopping with my parents, and I thought it was the worst thing in the world. Like I didn't understand why a couch or a bed needed to look a certain way. It's to sit on. It's to sleep on. Why does it matter what it looks like? Um, but the reason that, um, you know, in this instance, like the parents are not around, save for the beginning and end of the story, is because they're kind of doing the home buying thing. So they end up leaving Evan with his great aunt, Catherine, who is 80 years old um, and deaf. And kind of the focal point of the story is she refuses to learn sign language and she refuses to read lips. So at one point later in the story, Evan's kind of like, yo, she has it figured out. Like she's made the decision. She doesn't have to listen to anybody. So everything can be done her way, which is a really interesting observation for how the story plays out. Um, but okay. One thing that he kind of notices that's really striking about Aunt Catherine is that, you know, unlike somebody who would normally be that age, her eyes are really piercing. She's like these piercing blue eyes and she maintains some really dark hair. And as far as physical stature, like she's pretty tall and pretty large. And I think that those are aesthetics given to her um, to kind of later explain why she's in the predicament she's in and why she's able to resist um, some of the perils that end up opposing her. But um, when Evan's actually communicating with her, sometimes he has to act out his intentions and that'll come into play too for how they finally kind of communicate. So it's Evan and it is Evan's dog Trigger who's like a cocker spaniel and you know mom's like yo i gotta go with your dad like we can't have you here while we do this um because i think evan's a lot like me in that he would immediately grow frustrated and upset like being a part of a process like this and you know adults running errands for as specific as they are especially something like house buying that's something you really have to focus on you can't have a lot of distractions or you'll end up getting hope so I think they were trying to avoid getting out. Um, Evan gets to the house and his mom gives him like some hush money. She gives him like $10 um, so that, you know, he'll kind of go about his way, kind of get acclimated to where his Aunt Catherine lives. Almost immediately there, he encounters his Aunt Catherine's cat, Sarah Beth, who gets into it with the dog. So Aunt Catherine's reaction is okay i'm gonna handle this and so next thing evan knows she's already built a pen outside for the dog so that he can stay there and evan's like oh like he's a house dog but you know since aunt Catherine's in a situ in a position where you can't argue with her like you can't debate her because you can't communicate with her it's something that he just has to accept so like he's out taking the dog for a walk and he runs into a girl named Andrea, 
who chooses to be called Andy. And you find out that she's an only child. And I think how she deals with that is really interesting. Like, a lot of people who listen to this have probably heard me on, like, different wrestling podcasts or follow me on social media where, you know, I'm talking about the business of wrestling or the wrestling fan themselves. One thing that a lot of wrestling fans do is they call everything a work. They say everything's fake, everything's entertainment, everything's smoke and mirrors. And in a lot of cases, it's not because they believe it's true. They say that everything's a work so as to never be fooled. Like they can never be made to feel dumb if they automatically call everything dumb. And that's something that Andy does throughout the story. To her, every name is dumb, every toy is dumb, every activity is dumb. Um, because if she doesn't show the value in it, even if it's something she, she goes along with, she never has to feel like she's out of place. So I think that was it was a really cool idea to put onto a character of this age without ever explaining something that far, like why she would do that. So she talks to uh, Evan, you know, on the block, and she's like, "Hey, I need to buy a present for my cousin. Um, so you know, why don't we go like around town to look for something?" We can go to the new toy store in the old toy store. And she's like, let's go to the old one. And Evan's like, why would we go to the old toy store? She's like, I don't know. It's dumb, but let's just go. So clearly it's her establishing that she finds value in this store, but um, she doesn't want to admit that. It's just something that they go along with. And like I'm from, you know, the GameStop generation. And those are businesses that are kind of going out of play now because, um, one, they're business practices. You know, um, I know this game just came out yesterday. We're going to give you $15 for it and resell it for 50 Or you end up bringing them like your whole, you know, PlayStation 3 library and end up giving you a real fancy keychain for that. So there are reasons there. But, you know, when they go to this old toy store, everything in there is old to the point where they acknowledge that a lot of the toys are made out of metal. Instead of plastic, you know, just a whole different style and aesthetic from what they're used to. And like they're searching through the store. There's one guy working at the front desk, completely uninterested in what's going on. So they find like a little back room and then they find a metal can that says monster blood on it. So Evan's like, oh, this looks interesting. Um, It's called a miracle substance on the label. So I want this. How about... (laughs) The toy store owner tells him, he's like, yo, this is too old for me to sell you. Like, it's too old. In a store full of old things, this is too old for me to sell you. If an old person tells you something has an expiration date, it's probably in your best interest to go along with that. But, you know, kids going to do their thing. So they end up bargaining with him on what was going to be $10 to give him $2. Um, to end up buying it. And they end up getting it. They take it back to Aunt Catherine's house. And she looks at it. And she tells him to be careful with it after she examines it. And he's like, yeah, he thinks that's what she said. Um, but he couldn't really make it out. One thing he does also point out is that unlike most people who you know, are deaf. Um, She's, her words are very clear and very concise. Like she doesn't speak in like an 
and alternating octave. Um, she doesn't like and she fully pronounces her words, which she's saying is very clear. You know what she points out, which does come into play a bit later. So. Like as they start playing with the monster blood and, you know, it's it's cold and it stretches and it glows in the dark and it bounces and all that. And then it leaves a stain on the wall. I immediately thought of all those different infomercials they would show you while you watch Nickelodeon. Like there was Zand, which was like sand, but blue or green or whatever color it came in. They had Squand, uh, Floam, Smud, and my favorite, Gak. Like like of all of these things, Gak was actually really good. And apparently that was slang for cocaine in like 1994, whenever it came out. Uh, but yeah, I did actually love Gak. So just one of those things. I don't know if kids still play with like actual slime, like if that's a thing or if everybody's just playing the slime app on their iPads. But, you know, somebody can inform me on that, I guess. But yeah, back to the story. So they end up playing with it outside. Why they take this outside, I'll never know. Um, they end up forming it into a ball and then they're playing really close to trigger. And as somebody who has, you know, a seven, what, gosh, Seven months? Yeah, a seven-month-old puppy. I know exactly what's going to happen. Um, because here's what happened to me yesterday with my puppy. I get a text from my other half-sister, and she says, Hey, um, I took him out, and I fed him, but he's been chewing on the printer cord. And I give the printer cord like a kind of a glance once I get home. I don't really see anything wrong with it. My other half is very meticulous, though. She sees it and she's like, wow, look at this. And the cord is like super frayed and the copper sticking out. And, you know, it being like 930 at night, I just want to eat dinner and watch Love and Hip Hop. So I'm like, yo, um, whatever. It looks fine. Just plug it in. She plugs it in and all the power goes out in the house. <laughs> we had to reset the box. So, yeah, um, my puppy chews through anything you tell him not to, to the point where every time you take him outside, um, he has to bring something back in the house with him or try. Like I've seen him bring bones from ribs. I've seen him bring leaves. I've seen him bring actual peanuts. And I don't mean like nuts that fall from a tree. Like one of the neighbors actually left peanuts out and he was eating them. Like luckily he doesn't have like opposable thumbs. So he can't like do that thing where you shake them in your hand like sunflower seeds before you eat them. But yeah, um, so we're working on that. But anyway, Trigger ends up uh, swallowing the monster blood and uh, Evan ends up having like nightmares about Trigger doubling in size and Trigger him doubling in size on the back end so like it's kind of freaking him out right um, but he does notice that Trigger's collar is like tight on him and he looks at him he's like yo He's actually gotten bigger from this. Um, this is one thing that happens in the story that I'm like, okay, even in a in a world where, you know, we might be dealing with like mutated slime and a world where we've already had zombies and we've already had plant creatures. Evan and Andy take the dog to the local vet to get him looked at. How does a 12-year-old take an animal to a vet without 
insurance locally without any hard cash on hand. Like I've been to the vet. I've seen a vet bill. I've paid a vet bill. That's a new pair of J's every time you go to the vet. Every single time. So this is kind of where it took off. But the doctor tells him, he's like, yo, like, he looks fine. The tests aren't showing anything crazy. Like, I'm not sure exactly why the dog would be getting bigger at 12 years old. But, you know, we'll keep an eye out. Um, When the results come back, I'll let you know what's going on. So it's like, okay, cool. So this is where Evan starts to get his ass beat. Um, he runs into these two kids, uh, Rick and Tony Beamer, who are twins. And again, like the relationship between parents and their children in these stories is always very interesting. They acknowledge that these are two twin boys who are raised by their grandparents. And so I think what the story alludes to is without that direct connection to parents, they kind of go out for self. And so spending that much time without you know, an immediate adult who can focus on you. They seem to have grown grown so close with each other that, you know, they don't really value anybody else's time is what you get from Rick and Tony because it becomes harmless. You know, you can't walk down this street. And then at one point, like Andy says, yeah, they always take my stuff and then they leave it somewhere random so I can come get it. And then it gets to the point where, like, they knock her down, so she slams her head on the ground, and she probably has a concussion. So it really escalates with these two kids. So after they push Andy to the ground, like, Trigger, who was out with them, like, who's starting to get bigger, is, like, chasing them around the block. Kind of how the dog did in Welcome to Dead House. Like, the dog really does help to further the action in this story. So um, when they see later on uh, Evan and Andy with um, and Evan has some monster blood, they ask him for it. They're like, yo, let me get some of that monster blood. He won't give it to him. And they beat his ass, like genuinely beat him up. And So he goes back to his aunt's house and she's like, yo, um, you okay?" And she looks at him, she's like, oh, you got beat up, didn't you? He's picking on them kids bigger than you, just like your dad used to do. And she tells him that and then feeds him lunch. Because I think she's from that era where, you know, kids get into fights. As long as the kid doesn't come home with anything broken or sprained, the kid's fine. And you live to fight another day. Kind of like Pops and Friday. So, that was all right. Um, You know, at this point, the monster blood is really getting out of control. Like, they have it in the can. It no longer fits in the can. They put it in a coffee pot. It no longer fits in the coffee pot. To the point where Evan sneaks down to the basement or sneaks to the garage one night. And he has to put it in a bathtub. Um, and it at this point, like it's really getting out of control. It actually seems to jump at him when he's in the bathtub. Um, and so... While he's down there trying to get rid of it, his aunt's cat, Sarah Beth, ends up jumping on him from behind and startling him and pushing him into the bathtub. Um, And that's when the monster blood gets on him and seems to be pulling at him. But he's able to eventually get free and go to bed. So at this point, he's like, yo, this monster blood is wilding out. I got to tell Aunt Catherine about it. Like, I can't hold this in any longer. 
So he writes down on a note like, yo, the monster blood is wilding the fuck out. I, I can't I can't deal with this monster blood anymore. She laughs at him. He actually didn't say wilding the fuck out. He was just like, yo, the monster blood is mutating and attacking me and growing in size and there's nothing I can do. So what she does is she makes a scene to laugh at him like really loudly. And then she whispers to him, like, I told you to be careful. And so it's like, wait a minute. Why would she react one way at first and then kind of alter that later on? Like, what's going on? So Evan and Andy do think kind of a rational thing. Evan's like, yo, we got to take the monster blood back to the store. Like, we can't deal with this anymore. Clearly, we can't control it. The reason that he chooses not to immediately throw it out is kind of scientific. He was like, "Okay, if it's in my dog's system, it's making my dog get bigger. There's really no way to know if they can cure it unless they have some. Um, It's kind of like how in, you know, if you're my age, if you watch X-Men, the animated series about how they had to make sure Wolverine got the legacy virus so that they create so that they could create the antibodies so that they'd eventually have a cure for the legacy virus. So he's like, yo, we got to keep some. But the rest of it, we're going to put put it in this big trash can with the latch. We're going to take it back to the store and we'll be good. On the way out the house. Aunt Catherine says, yo, I got a telegram from your mom like she's coming to pick you up this afternoon. So he's like, OK, cool. Yo, we're going to take this. We're going to take this monster blood back. Um, we're going to get out of here. And Andy's like, yo, like, don't you think you need to, like, still, like, take care of all this? And he's like, no, nah, I'm going to take care of nothing. I'm going home. I'm out. So then um, while he's excited, he sees his dog and Trigger's gotten bigger again. Like, he's doubled in size. So, like, I'm somebody who's had, I had a 12-pound dog for 12 years. If that dog was all of a sudden 48 pounds from doubling in size twice, like, yeah, that's immediately going to sober me up. And so Evan is still a bit disoriented and he opens up the dog's pen and he takes off down the street. And, yo, chasing a 48 pound dog is a lot different than chasing a 12 pound dog. Uh, just, you know, not only are they still super fast, but you can't reel them in just based on momentum. So as he's trying to chase him down, he knocks over the monster blood. And now the monster blood is wiling out like it's chasing everybody down the street and it appears to be coming at Evan and Andy. And so they were like, yo, we got to split up. It can't follow both of us. So then like they're trying to get away and it's taking everything in their path. Like it grabs a bird and swallows the bird. The Beamer twins are on the block. It swallows them. And, you know, being kids are like, okay, at least we know the layout of the house. Let's go back to the house. So they're running up the driveway and Aunt Catherine sees them. Like she sees the monster blood on the front door and she's like, yo, oh, so then she runs back in the house and the monster blood is coming at her. So now they go in the house to try to help her. So everybody's in the house and the monster blood is pulling up on them. Right. So Aunt Catherine is like, yo. Evan, Andy, y'all got to save yourselves. Like, this is my fault. I'm the one that should die for it. Huh? Wait, what? 
Like, like, where did this come from? How is this your fault? So then Evan kind of remembers, you know, what she was saying. She's like, yo, um, like she's the one that said to be careful. And immediately he's like, yo, you did this to us. Like, this is your fault. You controlling the monster blood. And she's like, no, that's not what's going on. This is like one of those plot twists that like kind of seems wild at the end. But it's like, OK, like this actually does add up. So she looks at the cat and as somebody who found out they were allergic to cats at 19, I knew it was a cat all along, even if I didn't know it was the cat. So as I look at the cat, the cat starts to transform like into a woman in a cloak. So it's like, oh, man, we dealing with witches. So here's what happened. 20 years ago, somehow, Aunt Catherine became the cat slave. And the cat's not a cat. The cat's like a witch. Um, and so what I equate that to is either one or two things. Like, clearly the cat's a witch. That can't be debated. Or some type of character along those lines, right? So, Aunt Catherine was either... Like this lonely, but still physically and spiritually powerful woman that the cat kind of used or Sarah Beth, the witch kind of used in kind of a symbiotic manner. Like that's what makes the most sense. Like she saw somebody who she could kind of, you know, live off of and survive off of or and this is my prevailing theory. They were both witches. And Catherine lost her freedom in a dice game. I've seen it happen to people. Just everything gone. One bad roll. That, so that's what I'm going to go with. But either way, Catherine does have magical powers. Because here's what happened. She took her hearing 20 years ago and explained to her that if she were to bring anybody around and they couldn't get rid of them, They'd have to kill him. Like that was the deal. However, she got sold on it. So that really explains why it was that she didn't have like, you know, kind of a change in in voice pattern or talking level or um, not being able to clearly pronounce words because her hearing loss was a thing of magic and not something of any type of natural uh, natural happening. And so it's not going to abide by the same rules as somebody we would know who was born with that issue or even somebody who developed it over time. Snap. It's magic. It's different. So, yeah, at first, when Evan came, she tried to scare him away by being a cat. That didn't work. And so basically, Sarah Beth is not the type of witch that can control things directly as far as like she can't just say a spell and you die. She needs a conduit. So Catherine was the conduit. And in turn, the monster blood became the conduit. Because I think when Aunt Catherine saw it, she realized that, yo, this is something that Sarah Beth can have me use against the people I care about. So as I took the time to figure all that out, the monster blood is pulling up on everybody, yo. And Catherine was like, yo, like you got me. I'll just die. You can go along whatever you need to do. And Sarah Beth was like, no, 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 bitch. I'm in control of this. We going to kill everybody. 
So as the monster, monster blood is growing and growing and growing, my man Trigger shows up, knocks Sarah Beth into the monster blood. And guess what? The monster blood swallowed her up. So Sarah Beth's out of there. No more witch. Trigger immediately shrinks back down. Um, the monster blood itself seems to lose um, its magic potential because it kind of shrinks up. Uh, the twins pop back out. The bird pops back out. So whatever control Catherine had over it at the time or um, just the nature of the spell she used. Killing Sarah Beth seemed to satiate it for the time being. Just then, because it's a horror story, Evan's mom pulls up and she's like, yo, why did these kids just run out crying? And then Aunt Catherine is like, girl, let me tell you the tea. And they literally go into the kitchen to get some tea. But like, if you Evan's mom, why aren't you like, why, why can you all of a sudden understand me? Like, I'm not going in the kitchen. I don't feel safe. I'm probably not coming in the house. Evan, get your things, get the dog and let's go. So at the end, Evan and Andy say bye and promise to stay in touch. And the biggest difference here that in the first two books, Evan and Andy are of the age or the maturity or potential, however you see it, to be attracted to other people um, because they are drawn to each other by the way they talk, by the way, sometimes there are nervous pauses. And it's, it's crazy. Like nowadays, you meet a girl and she moves away. You're connected via the Internet. <laughs> Evan tells Andy, yo, uh, my dad has uh, one of those credit card phones. So if I need to call you, I can. So it's like harder to stay in touch at that point. Um, and so Andy still being kind of the weird kid. She's like, yo, this is going to sound strange, but can I keep that little drop of monster blood as, you know, kind of a symbol of, you know, us getting to know each other, the thing we've been through. And they look around. The monster blood is gone. So that explains why we end up getting monster blood two and monster blood three and monster blood four. So whatever magic potential was activated in it. Clearly, it's sentient to a point where it's going to continue to operate in this universe. Um, yeah, Monster Blood. I like. I really enjoyed that read because these kids had a different kind of level of maturity um, and personality too. I think that's something that R.L. Stein really started to develop, like how these people react based on their personalities, how they interpret the world that they see, um, how they deal with you know being attracted to another kid um they're really fun and like there's a whole backstory that could really be told about like the symbiotic relationship of Catherine and sarah beth or how sarah beth came to be or how she found you know Catherine's magic potential or even like her potential as a conduit for her magic so yeah re like really cool and and i really sinister story like this is the first one that's not born of some type of weird science like this is pure old magic um that these kids found themselves wrapped up in so like i would love to hear an epilogue about you know Catherine really explaining to the mom how this all came to be but yeah um like another fun read um yeah can't wait to do more of these again any questions comments or uh just whatever you want to talk about as far as goosebumps goes um it's south congress south congress with a k s-o-u-t-h-k-o-n-g-r-e-s-s -S -S at gmail.com um love to talk shop you know with you um so we're trying to figure out currently how to incorporate 
this series into our Patreon tiers. Um, I'm thinking it's going to have something to do with the actual TV episodes, um, but that's something we're still working on developing. Um, please continue to listen to the Goose Down. Continue to listen to the South Congress podcast. Um, you can find us if this is your first time listening, like on a SoundCloud or on a YouTube. Um, you know, we're on iTunes, we're on Spotify. Um, pretty much anywhere you can get your podcast is where you'll find us. Um, so yeah, this has been another episode of the Goose Down. Um, this time we covered the third book in the Goosebumps series entitled Monster Blood. And we'll be back next week with the fourth book, Say Cheese and Die. Um, again, it's the Goose Down, part of the South Congress Podcast Network. My name is Cameron Hawkins. Thanks for joining me. Want to support the show? Want a specific topic, comic, show, or movie discussed? Supporting the South Congress Podcast on Patreon allows you to dictate the conversation. Visit patreon.com slash Seahawk for details on how you can support and guide the show.